Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. A few months ago, to Mandy and I surprised, our email was filling up with amazing authors who we were so inspired by. Authors like Colin Holland, David Ditchfield, Rena Kimmerslingham, Carol Obley, just to name a few. Again and again, one email after another came in from John Hunt Publishing, and we became most familiar with one particular guy who we knew as Gavin. However, little did we know that we were exchanging messages with a brilliant and very talented worldwide three-time best-selling author. He himself, a host of a podcast as well called the Paranormal Chronicles Podcast. He created a website called paranormalchronicles.com back in 2013, and his paranormal reports have made national and international news. His investigations presented in book form have sold over 125,000 copies and have been number one bestsellers in seven different countries. He lives in Pembrokeshire, West Wales, and studies hauntings of the 19th century. Today, Gavin joins us to share with us his newest book, Harvest the True Story of Alien Abduction. The chilling accounts of a woman from Pembrokeshire in 2009 who believed that she was abducted by aliens and the terrifying events that followed. It is a pleasure and with much gratitude that we welcome Gavin, also known as G.L. Davis. <laughs> it is so amazing to meet you. I'm like, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for all your hard work. All my authors just think the world of you. They love you to fit. Pleasure to meet you both, honestly. You too. We feel so blessed to meet these freaking amazing people. And we have learned so much from them. It's unbelievable. Absolutely grateful to you. So thank you. Your book has like affected us. <laughs> um, so... I'm brutally honest and raw. And um, at the very end where it said sleep well, I screenshotted that and circled it and sent it to Shannon and said, fuck you, Gavin, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> My husband used to always say, you know a movie's good or a book's good if you can't stop thinking about it. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was intense. It was freaking scary. It was raw. I felt sad for you at one point. I felt sad for Susan at one point. I felt connected. I felt like I was walking through it with her at one point. Like, and then I loved how humbled you were and authentic with sharing that, you know, you've been diagnosed bipolar. Um, it, it was just, it was awesome. I will tell you that this, I have a love-hate relationship with you right now and you're not even aware of it. <laughs> Um, I love you for blessing us with so many amazing guests. And then I hate you for scaring the shit out of me. And then I love you. And then I hate you. And then I love you. Most people feel that about me, if I'm honest. <laughs> really is a pleasure, though. And we're so excited to have you here, like, and to see your face. And we, we were talking about this book this morning. And just, it's brilliant. It really is. Even as scary as it is. It's written so well that you really feel everything. Thank you so much. Like, I'm really overwhelmed. Anybody who's ever written a book will know how terrifying it is to put it out there. 
you have mixed emotions. Part of you is excited, you know, I'm a writer, and the other half is people are going to hate on it, and you know, that's a tough pill to swallow. And everybody, and I mean, literally everybody has read Harvest, the True Story of Alien Abduction, have pretty much said what you both said, and they've had that same experience. They felt very drawn in, and it's a melancholic experience for a lot of people. One of my blessings and curses, I didn't know I was bipolar. Everyone else in the world knew I was bipolar. I just needed a diagnosis. And I spent my entire life living in a world of ups and downs, thinking everyone felt like that. So even though it is incredibly damaging to me and people will never fully understand, one of my best friends and a fantastic author today, Paul Anthony Wallace, author of Escaping from Eden, he checked in on me this morning. And he was like, Gav, do you know what, what you've written is amazing. But he says, I'm, I'm so glad you're not doing it anymore because I can't even imagine how this affects your mental health. Not trying to find arrogant or better than I am because I'm not. I'm a really humble guy. I'm, I'm just grateful for the opportunity. I don't see myself anything other than just a bloke. You know, I'm, I'm just a guy making my way through this world. I'm not anything more than that. I really get into the emotion of my subjects. I, it's easy for me to do. I'm very empathic that way in that I can feel their pain, their anxiety, their fear. So if, for example, as Mandy was saying, you've got those feelings of despair, sadness, anger, frustration, that's because when I was writing it, I was here bottled up in my room, feeling those things, taking it out on myself, hating myself, feeling alone, feeling terrified, too scared to go to bed with the light out. For seven years, I've done three investigations now. I've done... Haunted Horror of Haverford West, Ghost Sex, The Violation, and now Harvest, The True Story of Alien Abduction. And I don't think people will fully understand what I've given to it, but I can't give to it anymore. I'm 45 now next month. I've had a mini stroke. It is what it is. I'm not moaning about it. If anything, it slowed me down. I had a mini stroke. I've been diagnosed with bipolar. And guess what? I want to love and be loved. I want to stand in the sun and the light. You know, I don't know, maybe I'll have kids, but certainly pets and spend time with my friends and see their kids grow up and make new friends like you both, you know, and work with my authors. That is my goal now. For seven years, I stood in the dark and it's a rough, rough place when you're meant to be ill. Oh, I just adore you. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that. Thank you for giving me the platform. You two <sighs> are so amazing, right? I was listening to you both today, right? You were so kind and generous and supportive to my authors. My authors love you. And if people say, what do you mean as authors? I'm a publicist for John Hunt Publishing. If you've got a book out there, guys, get in touch with me at John Hunt Publishing. And these two, Shane and Man, Mandy, work so hard. And they treat every guest as if they're like the set and come in a Christ. They give them the red carpet treatment. They understand them. They promote them. They understand them. And that's where you, you guys do really, really well. It's like you understand what our authors convey. Whether they've been run over yeah. by a train and their arm came out. Whether they had a chance encounter with Paolo Coelho. Whether they can speak to dead people or whatever the case. Or in tune with the divine consciousness. You guys get it. You guys are vessels. You are like angels walking amongst the earth. And your mission is to spread this to as many people as possible. And you're doing a great mm -hmm. job. I feel the same. And you know, I can relate to a bipolar diagnosis and also I'm in recovery from alcoholism. I know those dark places. 
I, I know how it feels when you're so invested in something or someone else when you, you know, Shanna's an empath as well and we take on people's emotions. I feel like you literally sacrificed yourself and your soul to get stories out there for people. Thank you as well for your vulnerability and you know, authenticity about your, your struggle with alcohol. I was, I was an alcoholic for three or four years and, you know, I sobered up and start for, oh, start writing. That'd be cathartic. Like that helped. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so me and you got very, very similar backgrounds and I think you should give yourself a lot of credit. And next time you look in the mirror, everyone listening out there, I want you to look in the mirror and just look at yourself in the eye and thank yourself for getting you to where you are in life. The world ain't an easy place. I think that's pretty safe to say, whether there's aliens or not interfering with us as well. The world is a very hard place. And in fact, here we are now smiling, sharing knowledge, sharing love, sharing peace. I think that that's a testament to just how great the human condition is. And if more people were like that, then the world would be a much better place. But we got a long, we got a long ways to go before we yeah. let Tell us about Pembrokeshire. Pembrokeshire, West Wales, is beautiful, craggy, isolated county hanging off the side of Wales, right? It is geographically very, very large and it's surrounded with beautiful, beautiful coastline, very rugged coastline. It's got 58 beautiful beaches. One of them is in the top 10 on the planet and it's a very agriculturally based place. Population, we're probably looking around 100,000. Apart from the refineries there's very little industry here unemployment's quite high opportunities aren't very high we don't have a university we've got a college not a lot going on here and we've got the milford haven estuary which is the second largest uh, natural harbor in europe and along the side of that then you've got all this industry like uh, refineries you know your texacos and shells all been at lng gas and in the evening You've just got this skyline, like something out of Blade Runner, just jetting out fire and smoke and lights it's, it's in its own way. Even though it's very hazardous to the environment, it's very, very beautiful. And yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. It, it's very difficult in the winter. It's very bleak. We don't have huge shopping malls and the, the big franchises down here. In Halford West, we've got a cinema with two screens. Yes, count them, two screens. Um, yeah. so like there's not a lot happening mm -hmm. so when I was a child my main escapism because it wasn't very sporty apart from cricket uh, was was reading you know reading and lost in my imagination and playing on my spectrum computer you know so so that's Pembrokeshire if anybody's on Instagram Follow me on Instagram. It's the Paranormal Chronicles. Everything's the Paranormal Chronicles. Okay, head over to Facebook. You'll find me there. Um, but if you head over to Instagram, the Paranormal Chronicles, there's loads of pictures of the coasts. Just so when people read my books, they can go to Instagram for a totally different experience just right. to see what it looks like down here. Very beautiful so place. A lot of the places that you've researched and in your past books are places that are kind of close to you, right? Yeah, uh, Haverford West, the actual mm -hmm. house from Haunted Horror of Haverford West, I actually lived in, I actually owned that. And that was a berserk time in itself. It, it's typical blissful beginnings, me and this girl, both work for a newspaper, we bought a house, ordinary townhouse in this very, very old, you know, 900,000 year old town of Halford West, got a big castle in the middle, big walls, bridges, quintessential old 
look in place, right? So we bought this house and within a few days it was just appeared to be profoundly haunted. So my first foray into writing was a self-published book, which then became incorporated into the public published version, which is Haunted Horror of Halford West, where very quickly everything descended into some kind of chaotic, surreal jumble. And the book was heralded as a very raw kitchen sink look at a haunting. There was nothing sensationalized, no spinning mm -hmm. heads, pea soup, yeah. and people climbing the walls. It was just about the decay mentally and of the relationship as this haunting took hold of us. And the argument I present, because all my books, I'll never say to you, oh, this is a ghost, this isn't a ghost. I'll give you all the information and let you decide was, did the relationship fall apart anyway and everything was perceived there was something going on around us? Or do you flip that and we fell apart because there was something in the house with us. So that experience of that house left me very, very broken. That's when I became an alcoholic. I kind of made every mistake a guy can make at that age. And it took me a long time. It took me another 10 years nearly to land back on my feet and get back in the saddle, sobered up and try to have a very productive life. With that account, with my own personal experience in Halford West, uh, people came forward to me and said, do you know that book you wrote? Yes, we know where you lived. And we're like, no, you didn't. And then they sat there showing me the deeds and all the information and all the evidence that they lived in the exact same house from 1989 to 91. And they had this horrific haunting. And then we started piecing all this together. And from the time we could to the time I left, we had all this information and it was heralded as one of the most comprehensive studies of a haunting in, in, of the modern era. And in a list that included Stephen King and Faust, Haunted Horror of Halford West was heralded as the scariest book of all time. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm scared to read that one then. <laughs> and I, book, I, I kind of bookended the book. I started the book with my own descent into madness, mm -hmm. how I tried to take my own life, how I was an alcoholic and how I'd kind of overcome all of that and kind of left the house alone and accepted it for what it was to having to go into a brand new study, then present in my study again with what I've learned, finalized yeah. with a 40 page, 40 page section on explanations on everything that could cause a haunting from psychological to hallucinogenics to gas, uh, cell signals, all the way through to time travel to dimensional beings. So people were reading this book and they were terrified because they were like, if this is real, real. <laughs> this is terrifying. And if it's not, and this guy's made it up, that guy is seriously effed up. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with him. And I'd love to take credit for making these up, but even I don't think even I could make that up. I think that's how we felt about your recent book. But I wanted to ask you, in Pembrokeshire, there's this Welsh triangle UFO flap. What is yeah. this? What is yeah. this? So basically, Pembrokeshire, we've set the scene as a large geographical location. And if we go back in time to the late 1970s, you've got to think it was even more. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to people of Pembrokeshire. I've described to you, we've got very little here. We haven't got a cinema. Like we haven't got like a big multiplex <laughs> and all that stuff, right? So if you go back 40, 40 odd years ago, you've got to think we didn't have, it was very, very backwards here in Pembrokeshire. We, you know, certainly didn't have things like internet, it wasn't invented, phone lines. You know, I remember mm. as a kid having to go to a neighbor's house just to use the phone. 
um, oh. it was a very, very, very isolated place. Very beautiful, very isolated. Hmm. So in the end of 1990, sorry, in the end of 1976, so I was only one, I was born in 75, um, a couple of UFO reports emerged uh, in the Pembrokeshire area. And mm -hmm. then on February the 4th, 1977, in a little coastal town called Broadhaven, beautiful little place, holiday makers go there all the time. There's a little village next to it called uh, Little Haven, and it's got a little pub, and every other summer, Jack Nicholson is often seen there having a beer. Oh. He, he, he frequents, a lot of famous people frequent Pembrokeshire because it's isolated and beautiful. Yeah, isolated, yeah. So Broadhaven was just a little village and it had its own little school. And on uh, February the 4th, 1977, 16 pupils aged between 9 and 11 claimed they saw what they believed was a silver-shaped cigar with a dome on top struggling to clear some trees in a neighbouring field. Uh, obviously, the children were very perturbed, upset, worried, enthusiastic. So the, the, the headmaster, Ralph Llewellyn, he sat all the children down in exam conditions, said, right, draw what you have seen. And all of them pretty much drew the same thing, which was like a, a cigar-shaped object, silver, with a dome, flashing lights behind these trees. Now, one of the admin staff, one of the support teachers, she saw it as well. But everyone was told they've seen a sewerage truck you know, like a maintenance truck in a field, that's what they saw. So she went to the sewerage work, which is only, it was very close by and said, look, were you guys in one of your trucks by our school? And they're like, we'd never get there. We could never get a truck there. And that news story made international mm -hmm. national news. I looked it up, it's still there. You know, you've got to think that, you know, this is the middle of nowhere. This isn't Roswell or Rendlesham. Right. This is a big, big case. And what followed was pretty much five years of nonstop UFO sightings, activity experiences. Oh, okay. To give you some of the choice ones, like I do cover a lot of it in Harvest, the true story of alien abduction, but to give you like the really juicy ones, because it is like Halloween, is that one family in particular, they got this very creepy looking farmhouse up on the cliff. And it's pretty much surrounded by jagged coastline and the sea. And you can see it, it's called, uh, it's called Ripperston Farm. And this family, the Coombs family, lived there. And it began when Pauline Coombs, the mum, was driving her younger kids. She was driving home. So you've got to imagine, come dark country lanes, no street lights. And they haven't got mobile phones and all them gimmicks, right? And she's driving down. This red ball came and just started chasing the car. The car just died. And she had to freewheel it all the way to the farmhouse, um, where it shot off. And that incident fried the TV. It fried the cooker. It broke everything. But not long later, that same family, they were being harassed by whatever was going on. Saturday night, they're in their living room, they're watching TV. British TV had three channels at the time. We didn't have cable and satellite and all that good stuff. It was three channels. Come around midnight, it would just go to, you'd have the national anthem and static, right? So there, they've watched a Saturday night film, the TV's coming to a close, the dad's like half asleep in the sofa, the kids are there, the wife's there, the kid's dog is there on the floor. And this huge seven foot spaceman in a silver suit came to the window. The dad panicked. So he threw the dog outside and the dog just ran off. And then the spaceman just glided off and the police came down and they said they've investigated rapes and murders, but they've never seen a family so terrified as that. The dog, the poor dog was so terrified they had to put it down. It was never the same again. So this whole family was victimized. And there's a lot of conjecture and speculation on what was happening. Their cattle was transported miles within about 10 seconds. There's lots of weird stuff going on. And I started investigating that 
end of 2014, wanting to know a bit more information because some people have said to me they'd lied and made it all up. And other people said they'd lied at the time, but they didn't see anything because they were told by what they believe may have been men in black. I know this is crazy to uh, shut the F up or words to that effect. That's where my investigation began, which linked the past to a very contemporary and very terrifying modern uh, experience happening to a young woman living right here in Haverford West. I just finished a book called Go Sex Violation, which was a study into spectrophilia, which is the phenomena where people believe they've been sexually abused by ghosts and spirits. People might have heard of incubus, succubus, things of that nature. So I spent a long time with a lady in Pembroke Dock, which is another coastal town down here in Pembrokeshire, and interviewed her, her son, her family, her ex-boyfriend, spent time at a house, brought in a female psychologist, and we nearly got, we really got into the brass tacks of what could cause this feeling of spectrophilia. We discussed earlier about how I really relate and really feel a lot of emotion with my subjects. I'm not here for a fast buck. I'm not here to judge people. I'm not here to sensationalize their stories. I'm not here to profit from this in terms of like I'm on Netflix or anything like that. I just want to offer people catharsisism and give them the opportunity to tell their story in their words. And I will do my very best to do that and let people decide for themselves if it was true. People were buying Go Sex, the violation, like it was the hottest porno mag in town. And I was like, why? This isn't erotica. This is brutal, depraved. The scenes of sexual abuse are horrific. When you spent months dealing with subject matter of paranormal sexual abuse, like, I mean, really depraved stuff, really, really bad stuff. How do you sit on the sofa wrapped up watching a Friday night movie with a bowl of popcorn with all that stuff in your head. So I wanted something that I was interested in but wouldn't be as taxing emotionally and mentally on me. But as God or whoever it is decided that was not to be the case. And so Harvest, the true story of alien abduction was accidentally born. Yeah, next time maybe you need to research Care Bears. I always wondered about <laughs> You've got to watch those Care Bears. I know what they get up to at night. I, I've seen what they get up to in those dark alleys. Well, and you know, I kind of vibed that this was an interest of yours from a young age, that you um, were kind of sparked by a teacher who read a book. And then your father even said to you, I loved what he said. He said, Gab, if ghosts and aliens do exist, doesn't that make the world exciting? And I love that he said that to you because he took that fear out and it seems like he kind of implanted like, make it fun, make it curious. And you just ran with that. Well, it's funny, again, something I missed out, which you've picked up on that book. So 1977 to 1982, all this weird UFO activity was going on in Pembrokeshire. So in 1985, I'm 10 years old and we're in school. It's a Friday afternoon. I remember it like it's yesterday. I could, it was a sunny day. We're in class. And Miss used to, that's the name of our teacher, we used to call him Miss. She used to read uh, a book to us. So it could be like Roald Dahl, you know, just a kid's book, you know, you know, kid's book. And one, one week she just decided she was going to read this book called The Uninvited by Clive Harold, which was the documented account of what happened to that family in 1977 to 82. Oh, wow. so, I'm, I'm, so I'm sat there, like, like just my, I'm just terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. So I went home. <laughs> 
you know. Wait, what kind of teacher reads 10-year-old yeah, fish? I know. I, I <laughs> imagine she's passed away now, right? Miss Hughes was one of the kindest people ever. I, I had a really, really mm -hmm. tough time in school, but there was two teachers, mm -hmm. Miss Hughes and Miss Reese. They knew there was something in me and they didn't know. And Miss Reese used to sit me down and she used to talk to me about why I couldn't read, right? And she understood about dyslexia in 1985 and she wow. taught me to read. She'd helped me decode the images one-to-one. -one. That is like, wow. If it wasn't for her, yeah. I wouldn't be here now. Miss Hughes was great. And I was like, what? Why would you do that to us? So I went home. My gran, I loved my gran so much. Oh, what an amazing woman. The perfect woman. So, like everything was un unconditional love, labor, love. Just the kindest, sweetest woman ever. And she lived to be 97. I was very blessed to spend a lot of time with her. I told her, you know, Miss Redis this book. Shitting myself. I doubt I swore <laughs> I would have got a clip from the grand. I would have had a, a clip around the ear if I'd said that. And my dad was working, he's working very hard. He's working in a cheese factory. He'd come from the RAF. He'd work in a, in a cheese factory packing cheese. And he'd come home, stink the cheese and whatnot. <laughs> and, and the member, I just lying in bed, just terrified that these aliens are going to come and get me. So my dad came in. He's like, What's up? And uh, I said, Miss Redis, this book, and I was crying. He's like, like and he, you know, he's sweaty, smelling cheese. All he wanted to do was eat and have a hot bath and all. And he said, have you ever seen a ghost? Now, when I was four, I had an imaginary friend. We used to live, when we were traveling around with the RAF, we lived in this uh, old mill. I had an imaginary character, imaginary friend at this old mill, and he was in a top hat, and he had a waistcoat, and he smoked a pipe, and he was, me and him got on really well until... People I lived with saw him and it turned out that he was a very well-known, famous ghost seen at this house, right? He's still seen it to this day, but I didn't know, you know. He oh, just... he was your buddy until you realized he was well, a ghost. I, yeah, like, and then we left. We left anyway. And like, <laughs> so I can't remember, but yeah, I used to chat to him all the time. I'd be following him around. He'd be babysitting me, probably teaching me poker, you know, teaching me about <laughs> drinking gin and uh, chatting a prostitute. I don't know, he was a hell of a character, this guy, from his, from his real life history. And my dad said, have you ever seen a ghost? And I said, yeah, I think so. And he said, did it ever hurt you? And I was like, no, this, this guy was cool. And he said, have you ever seen a UFO or an alien? And I remember when, we, when I was about seven, which would actually tie in with the end of this UFO flap. Me and my dad would walk in a dark lane. We saw this big light just come under the clouds and then just shoot up and it was a big flash. And we ran. I remember my dad holding my hand and we ran and ran and ran. And he said, were we frightened? And I was like, yeah. And he said, no, no, we weren't frightened. We were just, we just were in a hurry to get home. I was like, oh, we, were, we were crapping it then. But he said exactly what Mandy said, that if there are ghosts and aliens, then we need to explore that. We need to find out more about it. We shouldn't be scared. And he said, it was a very pessimistic chap at heart. And he said, it's the living that will do you more harm than the dead. The next day, I'm there reading books, and I'm, uh, I went on my first ghost investigation when I was 11 to a haunted old uh, house, investigating mm -hmm. the white lady, and I remember some boys oh. had seen a white lady running naked through the bramble. And it was like that moment when you realise who the wizard is in The Wizard of Oz, that, that behind the curtain oh, yeah. moment. One of the boys, I said, panicked. He said, oh my God, I can see her. Uh -oh. And when I looked, there was an old bag or sheet caught in the brambles and it was fluttering. If you were running scared, it looked like somebody was chasing you. And then that's when I saw behind the veil that 
there is explanations to everything. There is a possibility. Okay. Not, I'm not saying everything isn't real. Yeah. I'm just saying right. a strong, a, a suggestive mind and the will and want to see something will make it happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So then can you tell us what was so believable? And I actually just, can you first just share with us who Susan was, how you became acquainted with her, and how did her story become believable then to you? So when I was investigating UFO flat for the late 70s and 80s, I put a call out for people to come forward so I could interview them. So I had an email off of a lady. Uh, we'll call her Susan. That's her pseudonym. She wants to remain anonymous. I met with her and she was a young woman, very attractive, very tall, very elegant, very articulate, very intelligent, dressed, you know, baggy joggers, baggy hoodie, very inconspicuous ladies, like she didn't want to be noticed. She was very tall, but she used to round her shoulders to make her look smaller. You know, her hair was tied back into her hoodie. So we sat down and I had this impression that maybe she was talking to me on behalf of maybe older relatives who had been around in the 70s and 80s. But very quickly, it seemed that it was about her and that maybe her interest was maybe these things had been real and hadn't left. And there's a feeling out process then between her and I of, is there enough substance here for me to warrant more time? And also for her, do I trust this guy enough that he's not going to just plaster this all over Facebook with, or to the Sun newspaper, tabloid, sensationalized newspaper and all of this, right? So there's this like kind of side eye in each other to work out. Now, people who've read Haunted Horror of Half to West, Ghost Sex Violation, and now this Harvest, The True Story of Alien Abduction, I've only worked with about three or four people in seven years. Yet I get dozens of requests every, every week, every month. So just to put into context some of the stuff I get, and um, anybody listening, I don't want to be dismissive or put anyone's experience down, but you have to look at it from my point of view. What are your motivations? What are you telling me, right? So when people come to me saying, can you get me on daytime TV? Can you get me on Netflix? Can you get me a film? How much money will I make? And then as an example, uh, two people who do a bit of work for me from time to time, I just let them go for all the emails for me and they sift through the name Billy and Ash, they'll probably be listening to great, I love them in a bit. Thank you for all you do, I will see you soon, keep safe. They showed me an email where a woman was hoping I could get her on like, you know, the Oprah show, because she claimed she came home from work early and her husband was home and she called her husband's name and he didn't answer, but she could hear like the shower going. So she went upstairs, knocked on the shower door. So her husband, no answer. She opened it and claimed there was an octopus in the bath and a skin suit by the side of the bath. Her husband was an octopus living inside a suit. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I, my, my response was, have you got a photo? And the reply was, oh no, he's not very photogenic. Well, if he is a squid or an octopus or some alien being, I'm, that's probably the least of his concern. So, like, I do get stuff like that. I wonder if her husband is really handsy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be great. I think if a, if a guy had, like, eight tentacles or whatever, I think oh that'd be God. loads of fun. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, my husband could do the dishes while he fondles me and walk the floor. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know... Yeah. Is there any mad scientist out there if you could contact Mandy about maybe getting some tentacles attached to her husband? That would be great. But if you are some kind of serial killer, please ignore what I've said. And so 
I sat down, we had this feeling out process with, with Susan. And one of the signs I really, really look for is whatever I'm feeling is how this subject, this potential subject is feeling. She was hesitant. She was ashamed. She was almost embarrassed. It was a lot of questions like, how would you deal with this? You know, what is your experience? What is your procedure? And what she really did commend me on was my sensitivity, non-judgmental approach, and my ability to convey fear. So people say to me, why, what, what did she want out of this? And I believe she wanted it to come out of the paranormal closet. She wanted catharsisism. She needed to get it off her chest. And above all, and you've both read Harvest, the true story of alien abduction, she wanted to give a warning to everyone who reads it. And I think because you're such an empathetic person, even though that's a, a curse and a blessing, which we talk a lot about on this podcast, I think an empathetic person is probably the only kind of person she probably would have been able to talk to. Someone yeah, that could have yeah. understood and really felt it with her. Can I ask you both a personal question, right? Because a lot of people ask me this, right? Did you feel that I was like enamored to her? during the investigation at all so much so that i almost wonder if there was like soul merging almost if you are a real empath right like i will take your physical symptoms your anger your stress your happiness i will feel every bit of it and if you're not protected and aware it could be very dangerous you know Sorry about that. You like that boob shot you just got? Yeah, I, I, I feel my face. I was like, I was like, holy hell. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. I've been on my own for ninety days. I, I need to, I need to lie down after this. <laughs> my phone just fell right to my chest. Okay. I, I, went like, I went like I literally felt. I went like this, and I went, whoa. <laughs> I really had to hold. I had to hold on. I had to hold on. Oh, I, I know, because her boobs are as big as like a massive UFO. <laughs> oh no, I'm happy with that. That's made my day. Yes, but I mean, I've even been diagnosed with other people's, you know, symptoms. You know, actually, not that I would disagree with anyone's diagnosis. I just wouldn't doubt if your diagnosis will change over time. Oh, I don't know where she's gone. <laughs> she's gone now. She's dancing. <laughs> this has never happened. <laughs> It's like being at a disco. I love it. It's great. Uh, I felt like we were dancing and that was awesome. In, in, in a good way. Yeah, oh, that'd, that'd be great news. You think so, Gavin? I would love to talk to you about this on the side and just share my own experience and what I'm feeling about that. Thank you, thank you so very much. Anything, you know, I'm, I'm very open. I started doing yoga. I walk six miles a day, eating better, sleeping, which was something I never did before. I'd get about three or four hours sleep a night for about sleep is important. Years. <laughs> just don't let it define you. But yes, so with Susan, what did you feel? It was very difficult because I had to make sure there was a boundary, but it was undeniable how beautiful she was. And when you see a beautiful woman or a beautiful man or a beautiful piece of art, a beautiful car, whatever, like that shot just then, I couldn't hide my reaction then. It just happened and I was like, this is a beautiful woman. I can't help that. So I had to make sure this boundary was in place. By the end, my heart just broke for it. Mm -hmm. and, I, and the letter oh, you like poured your heart into this woman and you genuinely just wanted to help her and i felt that paul anthony wallace the author escaped from eden i was talking to him today he's a very very good friend he said that email that final letter from susan to me he said like 
what happened, and I remember it vividly, it was, I believe it was like January 2019, I was finishing up the manuscript, and I was at my dad's, there was no heat, and I was all wrapped up, and all, I had the cold and all, and I stopped, and I just cried and cried, and I sobbed like a little kid for so long, because I thought, just because this book is finished, her journey is a what I want people to do is I want people to read Harvest, The True Story of Alien Abduction, right? And I'm inviting anyone who reads it to be an investigator. And I want your interpretation. I want your experiences. I want your theories. So the more of this we have, the more we can understand because it's a very strange read. There's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of surrealism involved that maybe we're not supposed to understand because it's coming from a much, much higher level. But just to think that Susan, whether this is real or psychological, she still has this. She is still out there in Australia now with this fear, with this burden, with this curse. But she believes that they will, they, they will just come back whenever they want and take her. And one day there is, there's going to be nothing left of it based on what she saw on a spacecraft. And it's yeah. really, really, really sad. Like if I found out, like I've met you guys today. Obviously, we've been communicating via email for a couple of months now. I love you guys a bit. Honestly, genuinely amazing people, right? And I mean that. Like the work you do is superb. And like, if I found out already, if one of you was like, do you know what, Gav, we're we're going to be gone. We won't exist in five years' time. That's going to break my heart. How very sad. And so, just for the listeners who are like, what the hell are we talking about? Can you just kind of give a just kind of summary? of what happened to Susan. She was abducted. This is her true story of alien abduction. And it's pretty insane. Yeah, like to, to understand the impact of this, right? And I, again, I don't want to be judgmental against anyone, but there's some people in life, um, their life is very, very ordinary. Nothing's really happened. They may have been let down by people, maybe even been victims of abuse or marital abuse, parental abuse, whatever the case is, okay? And they're desperate for something to happen to them. They need to feel special, whether it's angels, demons, ghost spirits. They're psychic. They've got mediumship abilities, aliens, whatever. And I'm not saying that that might not necessarily be true, but there are people out there longing, wanting, for this fundamental profound change to happen to them. Susan was not one of those. This is a woman from a career background, a professional who was going places. She had the silver spoon and the silver platter presented to her. She had a trajectory marked out, a roadmap where she would go from the family, study, all of that would be paid for her, and then she would go on into a, a very, very professional career. You know, I mean like top level career. This is from a family. They didn't talk about ghosts and Bigfoot and Yetis. They, were, they had no time for that. They had no interest in that whatsoever. They were religious to the degree that she called it her duty. So they would go to church for Christmas, funerals, weddings, christenings, that kind of. They weren't a religious family. They weren't, not saying philosophical, but they were very much based and rooted in the rationale of life. So when Susan was in her early 20s, she was studying. She'd met some friends at a university in a, in a neighboring county. And they were having an R and R weekend. They were having a girls weekend in a farmhouse right here in Pembrokeshire, West Wales. Just the four of them. Slumber party, Rioja, fire, you know, sweets, food, just 
girls who work hard just having a bit of downtime. So they're there in this farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. They had called up before for some lads to come and visit. When I mean lads, some boys from the pub were going to come down. They weren't loose women. They were very uh, focused on the careers, but they understood that there was leeway just to relax and have some fun, okay, before there's like judgments. So Susan, she went upstairs to go to the loo. To get to the house, this farmhouse is a very long track. And once you're on that track, you couldn't turn, you were committed. You'd have to come all the way down, turn in the farmyard, turn around and go back up. So she sat on the toilet and she sees this car coming down and she thinks it can't be the boys already because they're 20 minutes away. It's, it's not enough time's gone. Somebody must've got lost. She believed the car lifted up off the drive and as she noticed this, everything went pitch black and then a huge beam of light shot in from the skylight above. And she said she was just sat there on the toilet, you know, bum was hanging out, what's going on? And even at that stage, she didn't think anything was going on. What she thought was, there's a power cut, there's a light above us. Now in Pembrokeshire, because we're such a big county, we often get these helicopters uh, skimming along the power cables, checking out they're working. So she thought, well, maybe the, the, the car coming down the track was a van with one of those cranes on the back, checking power, uh, the lights went out, helicopter. So the lights all came back on, there was no sound, nothing. She went downstairs, all the girls were there lighting candles, the power had gone, their phones had gone. One of the girls said, where have you been? And she said, I went to the toilet, I've been like two or three minutes. She said, no, you've been gone 15 minutes. And she said, no, no, no. And when they did get their phones rebooted, they'd been gone about, she'd been gone about 10 minutes. So the boys who were supposed to be coming down, they didn't come down at all because the car broke down. What happened to them is not related to what happened in this farmhouse. Otherwise, there would have been an epidemic all around the county. So next to the farmhouse is a barn, but the bottom floor is a garage, as you guys say, and the top floor is a cottage for holiday makers. It's very nice. Susan had bags eyed that she would stay there with the friend's dog and the others would stay in the house. Now, the reason she wanted to stay in the house was because she smoked. She smoked cigarettes and she didn't want anybody to know because it was a big no-no in the profession she was going to be working in. Smoking was bad, so she was a closet, a secretive smoker. So all her friends went to bed. Admittedly, everyone was a bit tipsy. There'd been a couple of bottles of wine drunk. Susan went over with a dog. She stood in the front door. She had a cigarette. And then her and the dog went upstairs. She locked the front door. This barnyard conversion. She went upstairs, closed that door. The dog got on the bed. She went to the loo, brushed her teeth, went back to bed. It was like early in the morning, like two, two o'clock in the morning, say. She had this horrific dream that there was people in the room with her in the dark. She thought she saw like a, a being. Then the dog started growling at someone and she saw the dog leap across the, the, the room and there was a blue flash of light a, a scream, a blue flash of light, and then the dog, she could hear whimpering. And then there's these huge columns of light came through the ceiling, again, like before, but much, much more intensified. And the last thing she remembers that night was a very large, bulbous, smooth, black head next to her face. So she woke up and just assumed this was all a dream. She's had this horrible nightmare, new place, new surroundings, eating something funny, drank too much, whatever the case. So the only evidence that something had happened was there's a glass of water broke on the floor, which anyone can do while they're sleeping, having a bad dream, and the dog wasn't there. So when Susan went to the toilet, she had severe period pains, severe cramps, 
severe pains in the small of her back. She had a nosebleed, horrific diarrhea. There wasn't a dog, so she assumed her friend had come over to uh, get the dog earlier when she woke up to let it out for a, a pee to do its business. So she went back into the farmhouse and her friends were all in bed. She said, oh, did you come and get the dog? And they're like, no, no, what do you mean? They all started searching for the dog and that dog was never, ever seen again. And the, I know when you start, when you just, if I just told you that story now, but if there's no beginning mm -hmm. or end, that there's no context. And it's, oh yeah, maybe, you know, maybe she had a bad dream, the dog escaped. You know, he, yeah. ran, he ran off, big countryside, he got lost, he fell in a swamp, he fell in a bog, he got hit by a car, okay? But it's what happened to Susan. And it just continued and, and continued. She was what she was described here and a kind of boyfriend, on-off boyfriend, were buzzed by a huge ball of light, of fire, like fire and glass. And the night she claims to see that, there was over 16 witnesses claimed they saw the same UFO, the strange anomaly, on the estuary in Pembrokeshire. People in cars saw it, fishermen saw it. So that tied up. She's having these strange dreams, and three of them came back to back. And it was almost like whatever these beings were, were doing some kind of cerebral testing on us, some psychological testing. There'd be a pattern, very surreal pattern of events, uh, very surreal. And she'd be interviewed by someone. The first time was her by a dead grandmother who would ask a question saying, referring to my friends. And Susan would be aware that behind her, there were shadowy figures. Now I'd always end up with a severe pain in the back of her head going through her eye. And then the second time she was interviewed by a younger version of herself. She places this around seven years old. And the younger self was telepathically asking questions like, if your mum and dad were in a fire, who would you save? Susan would be making these very quick thoughts in her head, like, well, what, what kind of super questions? And these dark voices would say, but she couldn't say, oh, she'll save her dad. And she'd be like, no, I never said that. I never said that. One of the questions she was asked, if you were raped, would you enjoy it? And Susan imagined this horrific violation. And these voices behind her were saying, um, oh, she will. And then on the third night of these strange events, there's so much to unpack, you know, I can't do you justice, like you need to read the detail on this, was that she was shown this huge apocalypse. She saw the Milford Haven estuary on fire, ships turning and rolling and boiling hot water, steam, fire, people melting, raining ash, black skies, you name it, hell on earth. And Susan to this day doesn't know if these beings showed her the end of the world as we know it, or catastrophe in Pembrokeshire. And then the people say, well, a lot of people who have UFO abduction cases say that they are shown apocalyptic visions to either say, you need to fix your planet and wise up and start respecting it, or two, whatever we do to you is futile because you're going to kill yourselves anyway. I wanted to share with you something I thought of, and I don't know if, if maybe you heard some more details about some of her dreams that would maybe coincide with this, but myself and other people all dream about the same place. And it's not of this earth, definitely in another planet or something. It's this very sleek place with like this, um, an escalator, you know, one of those things yeah. like in a terminal. Yeah. And there's these wings and we know that on the other side or at the end, there's like nothing, it goes down forever. And in my dream that I have, and this has been reoccurring for many years, in my dream, I'm looking for someone 
and I'm scared. There's not a lot of people there. In other people's dreams, there's other beings. And in my daughter's, she's afraid and she's hiding. And I'm, I think maybe I'm trying to find her. When I realized she was having the same dream in the same place, I was like, holy shit. So even a dream interpreter that we had on, he actually knows of this dream and he and another have actually lucid dream to this place to try to get some more information. But I don't think I'll be doing that. I'll be trying not to go there anymore after your book. Because, well, yeah, I'm afraid of the tall aliens. I kind of am not afraid of the short ones because I've had like an experience with a short one. You had an experience with an alien being? Well, Can you share it? Are you happy to share? <laughs> well, I had this like entity of something in my house, you know, for months. There was this one time where I was laying in my bed and all these stones moved next to me. And I was like, all right, <laughs> put my hand out and I just kind of closed my eyes and I'm very clairvoyant. And all I saw was like a little, you know, short being peaceful and loving, but has a very neutral energy, which I'd never experienced before. I've seen two other times, I think that being in energy sessions with other people. Very it's a very small, very small, like just very peaceful being, doesn't really speak or anything. Well, I've got some good news. I've got some good news for you. Okay, um, good. Right. Speaking to Paul Anthony Wallace, right, author Escaping from Eden, right, he believes uh, whether our world governments know or don't know is, you know, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day when we're dealing with such high, you know, sophisticated, advanced beings, okay? Mm -hmm. So, he believes there's a cabal of aliens, a syndicate of aliens, right? And they've all got different agreements and agendas, right? So that is why when we're harvested, we're not like everyone in Britain's just harvested overnight without, you know, like these aliens just come, they take everything they need and off they go, right? There's an actual agreement amongst these alien races where you've got, imagine like a spectrum or on one side, you've got really good, spiritually enhancing, a really positive experience. And on the other side, you've got death, murder, decay. You've got people being harvested in their entire tree until they don't even exist. And the horrific abattoir style conditions, right? So if you look, so I was speaking to someone the other night, two people, in fact, on the same day, they were like, Gav, you know, like really, you know, really shocked that these people are having these experiences in Harvest, a true story of alien abduction, because mine was great. I feel really, I feel like I've been spiritually uh, enhanced. I feel more spiritually aware. I feel safe. I feel protected. Yeah, because you're lucky that for whatever reason, the aliens that have an agenda to do that have taken interest in you. Now, there's a, there's, I don't want to get like, really speculative. I don't want to go into like the realms of sci-fi, but let's just put into context what kind of stuff we know, right? There is a battle for the human race, okay, against good versus evil. And when I mean evil, when we mean evil, in that they have no regard for us. It's not that like when a farmer breaks a chicken's head and cuts his head off, is he evil or is he just getting food? Yeah? Okay. What, yeah, when a farmer is rounding up all, all the lambs from the mothers and they're screaming for their mums, is that farmer evil or is he just seeing them as a commodity and he's just sending them off to Ma or to the abattoir, yeah? So when a scientist is injecting a rabbit full of diseases, is he evil or is he trying to find a cure, a preventative or a farmer for us, right? So when we look okay. at human concepts as evil, the alien races that are harvesting us, 
experimenting on us, treating us like animals, because that's what they see us as, right? If you're an alien, right? And just say like hypothetical, it's a bit daft, right? Alien, he's in his little spaceship, right? He puts on his TV and he looks at the news, right? Do you think that alien is going to think we are a race worth considering the feelings of? Or is he going to think, oh my God, they are like locusts, they are diseased, they are fighting each other, they are tribal. That's what you'd see on surface level, right? You're not like that. Mandy's not like that. I know thousands of people like that. But unfortunately, there are people that would think rather with a gun, they'd rather rob than work, etc. right? Now, on the other side, you have these alien beings, like the ones you've had interaction with, they know that with just a bit of love and a little bit of guidance, we can be that cosmic seed that can spread out across our galaxy. You know, a tough, hardy being, right? Adaptive, you know, strong emotional, strong mental capacity, yeah. That we are like a, a weed, that we are hardy and that we can thrive and flourish in the harshest of environments, right? And that we will persevere and that we are, and again, I don't upset or challenge anyone who's necessarily religious, but we need to unshackle ourselves from the old ways. But this is me saying this now. We need to shackle ourselves away from our religions and our dogmas and the ancient texts. You know, where women were bad and this was bad and other people were bad. And we got to start thinking our minds, our bodies, our souls, our planet, our galaxy, the universe, our consciousness are all one and the same. And as soon as we learn to work between those vibrations, oh my God, we are our own energy source. We can create amazing things. Think about the music, the art, you know, the love, the things you hear about, the bravery that mums and dads do, children go through, and they overcome oppression, neglect, to become great human beings. And it's up to us now on whether we we all are just the animals that get harvested and experimented on or are we that being that is worth fighting for but we have our place in the galaxy we have our place in the universe but we're not just a tribalistic monkey because that's what we do we can't help ourselves black and white fight gay and straight fight muslim and christian fight and maybe right maybe and part of my overall not gender, but my motive is that if people read Harvest Truth of Alien Abduction and they're like, oh my God, the United States government have announced twice in the last three years that UFOs exist now. And I don't know if people have even paid any attention to that whatsoever, right? Maybe we got to stop fighting our brothers in people from different countries, right? And people, whether you're a white supremacist or a black activist, we got to be in the same foxhole fighting those things from above that are coming to our world and taking our women, our children, our community away from us and doing disgusting things. And until we wise up, right, there's two ways this is going, right? There's two ways, right? We are going to run this planet into the ground and a couple of us are going to live on Mars or we can all reach and radiate and realize our worth and each other's worth and work together and say to our governments, right, Whoever these aliens are coming into our planets, right? You need to shoot them the fuck down because I don't want my daughter taken. I don't want my kids taken, right? So like you're American, right? You guys, you've got very strong nationalistic pride, okay? If Chinese, North Korean or Russian aircraft were just flying into American airspace willy-nilly, would you sit back? No. If those same people, those same nations were abducting your children, 
your family, your mothers, your grandmothers, your people in your community, you would go to war. So the difference is now, A, our governments have got to tell us the truth about who these alien beings are, dimensional beings, where these objects coming from. We need to know the truth. We need to stand up to them and we need to embrace a more peaceful way of life because at the moment they see us as nothing more than rats. Absolutely. That was powerful. Right now we're about to have an election and we are so separated here by politics, by race and by all of these things. And it's like, we're going backwards. We're not going forwards. And it's so scary. So if I saw from a distance, a country that was weak and not paying attention, we're very vulnerable over here right now. China have had so many military exercises in the last month into Taiwan. And that, that's not conspiracy, that's news. You can just go to any news site. I'm not a conspiracist, but it seems really weird to me that every nation on the planet seems to be struggling economically and with death and disease with this COVID disease, apart from China. Either they've hidden it up or they had the cure. 210,000 people have died in America. Our economy here in Britain's on its knees, in France, Germany. The Western world is on its knees right now. And China's got the time to run military exercises off Taiwan. That is a lot of chess beating, you know, and I'm hoping whatever happens with America, and I mean this, I love each and every one, all of you, you're important to me. Whatever happens now, next month, that we can just get over it, move together and walk forward. You know, let, let's Agreed. just not waste any time. Whatever the result is, whatever your political affiliation is, we've got to stop now and we've got to start walking forward because we're running out of time. Yeah, we are running out of time. Holy shit! What are what are we doing right now? Like we really all need to become one, and that shift that you were talking about is so important, and it's happening right now. And if we don't change it, we're screwed. Like I'm 45. Both you ladies claim to be the same age as me, even though you look at least 20 years younger than a pair of you. Okay, and I mean that, <laughs> guys. If you're listening. You haven't seen the, these pair. You need to have a look at them. They're, they're, they're very very nice young ladies, right? And we're going to be one of the last generations that remember very ordinary things that maybe we, we don't appreciate enough that we do take for granted. Things like walking in the woods, sitting on a beach, having food, the foods we want, going to the supermarket and being able to pick fresh, fresh fruits and stuff. Because in 20, 30 years, when that population is like 15 billion or whatever it will be then, we haven't got enough as it is now. And there isn't a fair system. You know, the, the people, the poor people are getting poorer, the rich are getting richer, people aren't eating. I was reading an article in National Geographic that water pretty much exhausted its, its, its water basin, top level of, of water. They've used it all for irrigation. They're digging up all that sand from the riverbeds, using it. Water, uh, India is on the, on the verge of a huge, huge crisis with water, yeah? 73% of all water on the planet is used in agriculture. 20, 20% in industry and only 7% is used by us. So yeah, it's great if you only use a little bit of water when you're brushing your teeth, but you need to get your politics right on the people who are killing the environment. You know, people say, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe it is. All I do know is, is massive oceans of plastic in the Pacific mm. Ocean. But you can't deny that. That's not a lie. It's there. Going back to your encounter, uh, Shana, with, with the little being and, and these dreams, 
there's a, a drug called DMT. People take that drug and they go to the same place. Yeah. You've heard of this place? Very similar. Uh, there's one place yeah. a scientists, uh, a lot of mathematicians and scientists, physicists, they use it. It's one of the most illegal drugs in the world. It's not hallucinogenic. It's not addictive. The shamans have always used it, but we're mm -hmm. not allowed. And they've gone to the same place where they've met, met these beings. And they're like, oh, hello, Gavin, nice to have you back. And they're just explaining stuff, places of light. Six students did the experiment, and all of them had the same vision where they were all on silver tables with Gray's experimenting oh. on them, okay? So I think that with, because you're very sensitive, empathic, your brain probably operates on different frequencies, what you perceive in as dreams are probably actual visits. I think so too. I've been, I've had another really cool one too, where I was on a beach with the little person and there was two moons and he told me about four cycles and I, I never understood what the four cycles were. That was another very vivid one. Well, at the back of Harvest, you probably noticed that there was like a chapter on local people's experiences mm -hmm. about having stuff. I loved how you added that. I just will be interesting, isn't it? These mm -hmm. people don't know what I'm writing and Susan didn't know what I'd be following yeah. up with. Uh, since then, over 33 people have contacted me to say they've had a dream of two moons in the sky. <gasps> one, one is what? our moon, honestly. One is our moon, and the other one is a red moon, which is just slowly turning in the sky. 33 people in Pembrokeshire. Whoa, no, what? No BS. That is fact. I, I was thinking, and have I actually put it in a book? I don't think I have. 33 people I, have had that experience. I, I contacted our friend who's a dream interpreter right away. This was months and months and months ago. And I actually, I don't think I've even ever mentioned it, you know, on our podcast or anything. It's incredible. <laughs> so what we've got to think is, right, whether it is uh, inherently psychological. So if you're really rational out there and you're listening to us chat, right, and you don't believe this, that's absolutely fine. There is a lot of psychological evidence on how we can all have the same dreams, how we mm -hmm. can have the same feelings of being abducted, someone in a room, there, you know, there's psychological rationale. In fact, one of the conditions that Susan may or may not be uh, suffering from is, there's a psychological condition where we feel so guilty about eating meat and the way we treat animals that we develop a deep-rooted paranoia but we ourselves are an animal that is to be harvested or sent to an abattoir, right? So, so do, like, if you are of that nature, I, I fully support you to, you know, to be rational, investigate it. I'm not putting a gun against your head, say this is all real. I'm just saying this is what people have experienced. These great hosts are uh, sharing with us. But then at the same time, I think it is inherent in us that we know, going back millennia, that people are coming from above and they're interfering with us they're adapting us they're engineering us i think that we know we know deep down we are not alone in this universe and we have met our, our gods we have met our visitors gavin i don't want to be abducted not by any of those people that susan knew so what can we do to protect ourselves what do you think let's do the maths on this right when Susan was aboard, whatever it was, a mothership, a factory, we didn't really get a sense of where it is, just that there's this huge cavernous cathedral place just filled full of women. And there was different sorts of harvesting from scraping of the vagina, anus, eyes, nose, mouth to 
women giving birth on this structure and uh, the baby's been taken away and these bulbous weird sack things falling on them to older women or diseased women being harvested in their entire tree until they were basically just sucked from the inside out until there was nothing left. If you look at the maths, right? If you take two people from America every day, two women from America every day, two from Canada, Mexico, go all across the world, right? There's about 225 countries, right? That's 450 people go missing every day. That's two and a half thousand people a week. That's quarter of a million people a year, right? 625,000 people go missing a year in the United States, of which 1% of vanished into thin air with no explanation. One person goes missing every 90 seconds in the UK. 30,000 people a year go missing every year in Australia, right? I'm really sorry. If these things want to take anybody, you're going. You're going. Because who's going to stop them? What are you going to do? Call the police? Get a baseball bat? Get a guard dog? Get a mace spray? I'd love that. Mace one of those aliens as it comes through the door. The only way we can take action is by making our governments listen, right? We need to say to our government, okay, you've told us now there's these strange unidentified aerial phenomenon or whatever the new UFO name is. They don't like UFO or flying saucer anymore. It's, it's unidentified aerial phenomenon coming into our planet. Who are they? Who's behind them? What do they want, right? We need to know. If there is a correlation between missing people and alien abduction and, miss and UFOs, we need to know. And our governments, right? It's never going to happen, but our governments should protect us. They have a duty of care to protect every citizen in America, in Canada, and UK, all across the world, right? Nobody should be taken against their will. Nobody should be harvested or experimented on or have stuff shoved up them or part of hybridization programs. If this is real, which they've told us it is now, after 70 years of telling us that these aliens don't exist, they've told us now they do exist or these phenomena, these aerial phenomena exist, we need to wise up we need to be told, if this was a race of sea creatures that came from the sea and took you from the beach, we'd go down the beach with a shotgun and a baseball bat and a knuckle duster, right? We haven't even got that liberty of protecting ourselves from these things. And it starts with us talking, asking our government to be honest about it, and for people to stop dismissing it as if it's a joke. It's not a joke to Susan. It's not a joke to anybody who's had these experiences. If it is psychological, then treat these people with respect and dignity because they don't know what's going on if it's in their mind, right? But overall, we need to start asking questions because how many people are vanishing off the face of the earth never to be seen again? And there's people sat at home, mums, dads, grandmothers, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, children, waiting for someone to walk through that door who've been missing for years, and they ain't ever coming back. And we need to know that truth. If we know the truth, guess what? We'll stop fighting amongst each other, and we'll put all our energy against those people up there. When I had my near-death experience, I came back and I was trying to explain to people this dimension I'd gone to, and I believe I had that DMT released in my brain, and a lot of people wanted to take my truth away from me because it was different and it was weird, and you know, people don't like different or weird. Susan had no ulterior motive except for to get the word out and help people. She didn't want anyone to know who she was. She didn't want to be on the front page of a paper. She didn't want money from Netflix. 
she just wanted you to simply share a message. And I felt that genuine, authentic truth in your book through her, like I felt in my experience but people want to take it away from you. This was coming from a true place of her to spread truth and bring awareness to something that is being avoided. It was fucking terrifying to read about, but there wasn't a part of me that didn't believe it. I'm extremely open-minded as well, but when I read it, there wasn't a part of me that was like, oh, this is a bunch of bullshit. I mean, this woman studied mental illness. This woman studied like how a brain could be capable of creating something like this. She did a lot of work and research. I thought that that was amazing that you added that in too. She's not fucking crazy. You know, Shanna and I talked this morning and we're like, holy shit, it's just being covered up. I mean, there is some sex trafficking going on, but I, I have a feeling that all these missing women and girls, there's a lot more to it. You're the second and person who said that to me today. Yeah, here's the deal. I just did my ancestral lineage and I'm having some issues with human earth men because they've always taken advantage of women's wombs. Now you got me pissed off at these alien men for whatever the hell. <laughs> <laughs> I would never take advantage of your womb. I am a gentleman. I'm an old school gentleman. But in all serious, like if we act like animals, right? We've all heard that saying, and if you act like an animal, I'll treat you like an animal, right? Mm. And I think that goes now more than ever, right? Let's not be animals. Let's wise up. Let's slow down. We've been controlled. We've been programmed, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's brainwashed. In, brainwashed, right? I don't care what color, sex, orientation, height, whatever, right? If you're nice to me, I'm nice to you, right? Mm. If you don't like me and you're a bit of a dickhead, then I'm not going to bother with you. It's pure right. and simple, right? And if we just adopted that attitude, right, we don't have to go out of our way to fight ourselves when there's a very real possibility. You're the most powerful government on the planet, United States government, have said that mm -hmm. these That's weird spaceships are coming into well, our planet. We've and Gavin, the thing is, is that the whistleblowers are the reason why they're having to finally say something because there's people coming forward. And, you know, that's kind of like with anything. It's like, it, you know, we've lived generations of don't say anything. Just turn your head and keep walking. Like, if we don't see it, if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. Now you have people who are saying, no, people got to know about this stuff. Look at the poor guy, Bob Lazar. I mean, they took away yeah. his entire life. And then when they I did know. go back to it, everything he said was real. Yeah. But it's so scary to come out. And I think that it was very brave of Susan, even her not actually coming out publicly, but just to share her story with you and to make sure, I mean, she even had you sign something to assure that you okay. would write this book. That was very brave of her. And so if she's listening, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. And Gavin, thank you so much for putting it out there. We felt it with you. The way you write is brilliant. It's so beautiful that you were able to be that one person that didn't sit there and call her crazy. Cause I've been told that I've been told I'm you're crazy, Mandy, you're making that shit up. Oh, it must've been the meds. Oh, you didn't experience that. You know, Shanna was that person for me. I can call Shanna and tell her anything. She can call me and tell me she's got a little alien in her bedroom and I'm not going to tell her she's freaking crazy. <laughs> you told me I took his most, you told me about a near death experience. You told me about aliens and you know I, I i didn't even bat an eyelid i was like oh right okay, yeah, you know, yeah great you know you're yeah, our people yeah, Gavin. I, I believe you know yeah i, I get it you wrote something I, i'm gonna read a little bit of it 
You just want to put your heart alongside there so the readers can open their minds, explore new worlds, feel the fear, the pain. And I want everyone to know that I shone the light into the dark because people should not have to suffer alone or in silence. To aspiring artists, dancers, singers, writers, follow your heart, follow your passion, create and build. Feel the beautiful energy of creation and don't try and fit into the world. Make the world fit into you. Dare to be different, stay strong and talk about how you feel. Never feel inadequate or weak if your brain lets you down and floods you with depression or sadness. Reach out, people do care, they will help you. And then you go on to talk about as a child, you Gavin have faced some crazy hard challenges in your life. And when you wrote that, it was so inspiring because I could feel the pain behind your words. And then to think that you've put yourself out there and shared these people's stories, and then you sacrificed yourself to get these stories out there, I mean, you are just such a beautiful soul. And the message, that message just touched me so much. So, so much. That's the first time I've heard anyone read that back to me. And it's, um, thank you. I've not, I've not heard it. I've only wrote it. So I think I might have touched upon it, but that's it. That's my last investigation. I can't do this anymore. It's time I lived. I'll, I'll write. I will. I don't know what yet. Maybe, you know, there's some parts of my life I think would be interesting. Um, Howard Hughes, who is um, a great uh, BBC broadcaster, a British broadcaster, he interviewed me about Haunted Horror of Halford West. And he, gave, he took me to task. He gave me a very, very hard interview. And he said, like, I don't know. But he said, I don't know if you've made it up or not, but you've written the best ghost story since like M.R. James. Like this is the best ghost story in a hundred years, right? He said, people will be talking about this a hundred years from now. And I said, it's real in terms of what people are sad and all. And after the year, he said, he said, look, I'm going to give you some advice, right? He says, you've got the propensity for darkness. You can convey fear like I've never known anyone. He said, do me a favor. After this book, which I obviously did another one, said after this book, no more saying they're real. Just write horror and you'll be a millionaire by the time you're 50. Because he said, you're one of the scariest blokes I've ever met. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll wow. have a go at horror. I've got a lot, you know, I sleep with the light on. But for me, for me, what I'd like, this is great. I'm talking to you. I've been talking to people. I can't believe the amount of love people have had for this book in terms of like embracing it and understanding the message. You know, everyone at John Hunt Publishing has been so supportive with this. And for me now, at 45, 45 in November, as I said, I want to meet someone. I want to fall in love and have my evenings not preoccupied with ghost sex and hauntings and UFOs and watch a, a good film and have lions in bed reading the newspaper with a woman I love and all that good stuff. And like, I've done my bit now. It was, it was never supposed to be like this. I wrote the first book, didn't think anyone would read it. And over 75,000 people read it. You know, go sex, a violation. I was getting death threats daily from fundamental Christians. They were going to crucify mm. me, flay me, do this to me and all. It didn't really bother me. And like, you get a lot of negativity, but now, I don't know, because it's Susan, I feel obliged to get the story out there and I feel it's been accepted. And whether it's today, tomorrow, next month, next year, 10 years, what Susan is saying won't be 
science fiction it'll be science fact people will look at that and say oh my god this woman had this experience back then and we weren't paying attention pay attention those things that happen in your sleep those memories those visions question everything don't take it for granted it was just a dream because we're dealing with something so incredibly advanced so incredibly sophisticated they can control our thoughts our physics our time our perception of time our perception of reality right and they will just come and go into our lives undeterred for forever unless we start talking about it seriously and ask our governments hey governments why why are you letting people get abducted why are you letting our wives and our children and our husbands get abducted why aren't you stopping this and if you're powerless to do that then we need someone in government who can actually stand up for every man woman and child on this planet we've got the cojones to put Mm -hmm. us first before greed before commodities put the human beings first all of us Thank you so much, Gavin, for taking the time today. We really appreciate it. We appreciate you. You're amazing and inspirational. And, and all of us that you've led us to through all the amazing authors, through J.B. Hunt. It's just been a pleasure. We feel very blessed to have you in our lives. Thank you so much for what you do for me, for my authors, for giving us a platform. You're an incredible audience, each and every one of you. I, I just send you as much love. Please keep safe. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. Let's win that battle. Let's win for the side of good. Don't make them aliens think we're animals when we don't have to be, right? Be the best version of yourself every single day. Love freely, love big, be happy, appreciate everything. Let's make that difference. And where can everybody find your book? You can find Harvest, the true story of alien abduction, wherever books are, are sold. It's on Amazon. You can go to johnhuntpublishing.com. And if you are an author and you're looking to get published, maybe send a submission to John Hunt Publishing and maybe we can start your writing dreams there. Paranormal Chronicles all over Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to follow me, I'm Gavin Lee Davis. You can't miss me. I'm on Facebook. Get in touch. Anyone's got any alien experiences they want to share because i want to collate as much information as possible or if you read harvest a true story of alien abduction and you've got some interpretations or ideas you can email me direct at harvest alien abduction at gmail.com that's harvest alien abduction at gmail.com make sure you follow like and subscribe to sense of soul podcast keep following listen to every show they do because it will enrich and enlighten your soul and make you a better person for it oh god you are so freaking rad oh my god i love you it's a dmt (laughs) you know what you're just such a light i hope you see that in yourself yeah i'm just a bloke I have good days, bad days like everyone else, you know. You're awesome. You're, you're not just a bloke. You're an amazing bloke. <laughs> well, I look forward to the day when all this stuff in the world is, is healed and you both come to London and we'll go meet Rena. Love to. We'll go and grab Colm Holland, Secret the Alchemist. We'll go uh, and get David Ditchfield. Uh, yes, let's do it. We won't take in any train stations. Though, we? uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be too much. Gavin, thank you so much. Thank you. Keep both. You're amazing, right? right I love you it. guys. I'll speak love to you soon. Too. Woo! Bye. Nature boy. <laughs>
Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Can you hear me? Right, where am I? I'm like, hang on, let me just put some clothes on. Hang on. I'm so... <laughs> I'm so the reason I'm late is because I've been listening to you two while working, and I've just lost sense of time. Can we I thought you got abducted. I... <laughs>